Welcome to Sticks and Taps, where the conversation is hockey and the keg is always cold. The games will be on soon, so let's step up to the bar, grab a pint, get into it. Your host, Paul Cuthbert and Liam McGuire. Slanta, fellas, and don't forget to pay your tabs. Ah, oh, thank you very much, Seamus, as always, for that grand introduction. Welcome to Sticks and Taps, everybody. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, down here in New York. And everyone, please say hello to your friends of mine. Mr. Liam McGuire, how are you, sir? How's she going, brother? How's she going? Ah, another day in quarantine paradise, my friend. <laughs> Just Doesn't another get day. Any better. <laughs> <laughs> Friday, May eighth, as we move on into the unknown. But we're all good. Most of us are all healthy. We're wishing the best to everybody else out there too. So, mate, what's going on? How are you today on this Friday? We usually do this on Thursday, but you were a big shot last night online. What's the story? (laughs) Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was slumming, eh? I was slumming. (laughs) (laughs) Holy cow, was that fun. Well, let everybody everybody know who's listening today. I know, uh, like I said, everybody knows and loves you. Obviously, was tuning in last night. I checked it out. But uh, tell everybody on the podcast here what you did last night, and then we'll, we'll let everybody know where they can get the links if they didn't get to see it. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> I've become um, pretty close with the Philadelphia Flyer alumni in the last few years since my dear friend Brad Marsh moved back down there. He obviously lived there in the area for years as he was a player for the Flyers. And and uh, his wife is from uh, South Jersey area, so they've got strong roots there. And Marsh went back down there, and, and for the last number of years, he has headed up the Flyer alumni. He's their president. And He's been very active in doing a number of different things, not the least of which have been trying to get creative here during the pandemic, as most have, trying to do these online entertainment pieces. And uh, I did one for him two weeks ago on uh, on a different app than what we did last night. But um, that was a genesis, I think, of uh, – and he'd done a couple others. He, he had had a couple of the other alumni on. I did one with Dave Brown, the former – uh, enforcer, who I feel is second to Bob Probert only in all-time uh, fistic ability on the ice in their prime-on-prime scenario. And uh, I did it with Brownie. He wanted me on to sort of do the interview with Dave, and which I did for about 70 minutes. And that was for a, a much smaller group, sort of an in-house group of, of um, actually, you'd love this, Paulie. It's, uh, I may have told you this actually already, but it, it's, the, it's a group of men and women called... Um, the, uh, the Warriors, the Philadelphia Warriors, and their former military, many of whom were injured uh, in theater. Uh, they're all obviously all American, and, and they've come back. Now, they're not incapacitated, you know. They've been able to get on with their lives, but they did take some, some level of, of injury overseas uh, while a member of the American military. And they've come back, those that have lived live in and around the Philly and South Jersey area. And Marshy has molded them into three hockey teams, depending on their ability. And it is just an incredible, incredible group of men and women. And uh, I've gotten to talk to some of them. And he's been running these online things. Well, last night, he uh, he really blew the doors off it and threw one of the former um, military, a man named Ed McAvoy, who was a Marine, and he is back now, and he has some technical skills. So he set up a YouTube channel for the Flyer alumni, and we did a live YouTube hit last night, 
And Marshy's calling them Flyers decades. And so last night was specifically the 80s and in particular the 86-87 season when they went to the finals. So he arranged for Bill Clement, who was a two-time Stanley Cup winner, <coughs> excuse me, with the Flyers on the Broad Street Bullies teams of the 70s, to uh, host and myself to co-host. And he had on, uh, he lined up um, Dave Poulin, Ron Hextall, Mark Howe, J.J. Daniel, Mike Keenan, the coach, and then just to put the uh, you know, the cherry on the cake, uh, you know, I mean, the icing on the cake, he brings in Mark Messier, you know, who was on the Oiler team that obviously beat the Flyers in both 85 and 87, and he had him on the uh, call last night, too. So there I was with Billy, and we um, we hosted that for about 100 minutes. I guess we went a little more than an hour and a half, and and then when we went off live YouTube, I can tell you, Polly, we stayed on for about another 30 minutes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Talking. It was so freaking amazing. And it is available on there. The um, I think if you just Google on YouTube uh, Flyer Alumni, it should just come right up if you did happen to miss it. Uh, if you do follow uh, myself and Polly, thank you for uh, putting it out there on on uh, on the social media platforms that we share. I saw you did that. And uh so if anybody follows Paulie or myself, you didn't catch it. It's it's that same link. We'll take you there. It is posted. It's it's um, archived now, and and uh, it was uh, a few technical glitches, obviously, but uh, you know for the most part, I think it it went relatively smoothly, and and uh, I chipped in where I could. Uh, I was as much a, a church mouse as times as I was <laughs> just trying to offer up uh, a little bit of um, when needed, a little bit of background uh, info. With some of the guys forgetting some of their some of the stuff that they did in their careers oh, it was great. <laughs> it's pretty funny mark messier not remembering who they played in the first round in 87 <laughs> <laughs> don't worry moose i got this for you kid <laughs> and uh you know <laughs> but uh i mean and my god i mean god he's a new york hero right i mean look what he did for you guys so you oh, know yeah. it's uh pretty 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 amazing it really really was so yeah that's uh I was going to try and roll these out every two weeks until there's some semblance of hockey back is what Marshy's plans are. He's just going to go with different themes and God willing, I'll continue to get asked back. Cause I can tell you, um, I had an absolute blast. I've done a lot of stuff in and around talking hockey, but if there's anything Polly that's come out of this incredible global time we're living through, it's to have an opportunity to do something like that. And God willing, first and foremost, is that we all, those of us, you know, that we know and love and as many others as possible, stay safe and healthy. Aside from that, to, to be able to step into that window last night, right at my kitchen table, hammering <laughs> back pints and uh, just talking hockey with two Hall of Famers, uh, one of the most eccentric and craziest and winningest coaches in history, and uh, and and other just outstanding NHLers, what a what an unbelievable uh, what an unbelievable thing for me personally it was. That was it was fantastic. Now I watched it. Uh, I didn't get to see Mike. I'm going to go back and see Coach Keenan. Um, but it was great. A couple things I want to point out. I thought you and Bill um, Bill was just great. How he he knew how to throw it throw it to you. Uh, it was great seeing the expressions from the guys when you were rolling out. You know some of the memories and the stats and the points and stuff. Um, so that was great. Um, yeah. I, I loved when you were throwing the pint back, man. <laughs> the can of beer was awesome. <laughs> and um, I also, I have to say, and it was, I loved when uh, you were asked, Billy, Bill asked you to set up the uh, <laughs> the series. 
<laughs> yeah. going in, and you jumped right into getting Hextall uh, fired up and all his, uh, you know, his, his history know. in terms of the stats and the fighting. And, and you know, he's, it's funny just to, to see the reactions of the faces. Like, it's almost <laughs> like he's part, you know he's damn proud of it, but he's also humble and he's trying to be quiet about it. And you were, <laughs> fucking, you were, you were getting him ginked up, and it was, uh, it was great to see. And the last thing I'll say, too, man, the guys look great, man. I mean, they all yeah. look, they really look healthy. They look good. I mean, geez, man, uh, Mark and, and Hexy could, they look like they could suit up tomorrow, man, and get right back into it. And they, uh, they really do. And right out of the gate, when you started things off with um, talking about uh, pulling his, like, his, his NHL debut and the, and the score and just seeing him, like, <laughs> he's just, like, looking up going, oh, yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was super, man. And I, and I hope you guys do more of it. And I am looking forward to, to going back and, and, and catching the second half of it because obviously Mike Keenan and, and him and Mark here and stuff. And it was great. It was it was fun hearing how the, the Rangers were always giving the Flyers troubles back then. And they were just – I know. They were some amazing series back then. And uh, these were all great. They're great memories for me, obviously, being a kid back then and, and, and growing up with those guys, you know, when literally I was – you know, I was just becoming a teenager there in 83 and 84, 85 – so you get to 86 right. and stuff, and, and like in New York, such a memorable year here with, um, even though I'm a Yankees fan, but the Mets winning in 86, and and just watching the transition from uh, the Islanders basically handing over the baton, you know, to the Oilers and Mark and Wayne and those guys. And then, yes, the Flyers had some fantastic teams during those decades. Rangers were always on the uh, the peripheral. I, I can't remember who was mentioning it, though. Um, about how the Rangers would just kind of chill out and then call us all kinds of trouble, you know, uh, come playoff time. And and obviously the last thing too was was seeing uh, how, um, you know, just and and you pointing out the the legacy there and everything else. So it's just a yeah. super job. And for guys like me, like I said, I'm 50, and and seeing those names, and you know, me and you were talking yesterday, and I when you told me you were doing this, I mean, just so pumped. So excited, so happy, and yes, you're right. And these, these, these days that we're living through right now with virtual communications and everything else, and seeing this, and actually, it was like same thing. I'm sitting there with a with a can and just watching you guys and just listening to the stories. And I think that's what's great. And I think that's just a super thing about hockey and hockey fans. And and, and granted, all sports they all have their their moments and their uh, their stories, and 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 all athletes are pretty much the same in that extent. But when you're when this is your sport and you're sitting there reliving those moments with these guys, the guys that were actually on the ice, and just even little talk about you know uh, you know Pooley was talking about you know uh, watching out for Messier running over him during the season. I know uh, that was hilarious. Also. Yeah, so I mean it, it was just great, man, and super, and I, I really do hope you guys do more of it. And um, because I, I I think you know I think at the time when I was on last night, it was about it was pushing eight hundred to about a thousand people. We're watching it live there, and I'm sure you guys are going to go up once the word gets out and everything else. So, uh, really hope uh, Marshy and you keep that thing going. And 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 I will definitely say, like, Bill has always been one guy that I've I've had the pleasure of, of interviewing Bill a few years back. Obviously, when I was starting, you know, the hockey stuff years ago, and and even off uh, off phone, Bill was always great because he's he's um, you know, he's just he's in the business. He's a professional speaker as well too, and. And obviously, he's a guy that we grew up with in terms of ESPN. Him and um, uh, uh, Thorne, right? Um, yeah, Gary. Gary, yeah, Gary Thorne. Yeah. You know, uh, again, growing up back then in those days, and, and Bill and, and Gary were the two main voices of 
of national hockey down here in the States. You know what I'm saying? ESPN and all that stuff. So I, I love Bill and your rapport with him, the setup, and the way you guys all worked out was great. So uh, definitely look forward to seeing this this go forward. Hope, and I hope it does for you, Bill. I do too. I, I, I do too. It was, uh, you know, I was hired, right? And, and, uh, so it was, uh, it's pretty significant to get that opportunity when you think of what association really do I have with the Philadelphia Flyers growing up, uh, Canadian here, rural. I, I mean, yeah, okay. I have some knowledge and I can speak to it, but you probably could have structured things a little bit differently. So I got to thank Brad Marsh, you know, Marsh, you made it happen. He believed in me. He thought I'd be a good fit. And, uh, you know, we had we did a couple dry runs, and we actually have a bit of an interesting connection with Dave Poulain. His daughter, one of his daughters, lives here in Ottawa, works at the same accounting firm. Where the girl I'm currently seeing, uh, Dave's daughter, actually is part of her staff. If you can believe it, that's how small a world it is. Wow, it's just just unbelievable. But but uh, yeah, man, I tell you, I I really enjoyed it, and uh, I do hope to. Uh, get a chance to do to do some more and and it looks like we're probably got gonna have time to do a few more anyway at the very least so it's uh it's good stuff man and uh you know to have Messier agree to come on I mean as I said he he held the ultimate trump card obviously you go back in time and they won right they won in 85 they won in 87 so you take your pick but at the end of the day uh I thought he was very gracious he handled everything that the rapport with him and Pooley Talking about the cross checks was classic, and uh, oh man, the whole thing! I loved it. I, I just loved it. So we had a few technical glitches, and we were kind. We were texting there, all of us, myself and Marshy and uh, Bill, during it, and we tried our best to keep it as seamless as possible and keep guys uh, engaged and and whatnot. Because guys came on like they nobody. Mike Keenan came on before he was supposed to. Messier came on before he was supposed to. Daniel was late. I mean, everybody's all over the map, so we were kind of going off the fly. But I don't think it mattered. You know, I really don't. I, I think it went fine, you know. No. I have a quick uh, question, though. Uh, where was Bill? And I haven't I haven't done it. I haven't needed it. I haven't gotten around to it yet. And I know even, like, friends of mine and stuff, they do these Zoom happy hours and all that other stuff. And, you know, my wife is doing Zoom stuff with school and my daughter's doing Zoom stuff with her friends and everything else, and and then uh, my, even my son does Google meetups with his uh, elementary school. So I haven't done any of that stuff yet. I've primarily been doing radio and, and and recording as far as the music stuff. My question is, watching it, where was Bill? And then is there somebody? Is there somebody who masters the click to the the next person, or are you guys doing that from your spot? How does that work? No, it's it's that Marine I told you about, Ed McAvoy, okay, a retired cool. Marine. Yeah, he gotcha. he's in Philly, Marshy's in Philly, and everybody else was scattered. Like Keenan is in Key West, Messi, I have no idea. Um, Mark, how where did he say he was? He's in Florida, uh, somewhere as well. And um, uh, Bill Clement, I want to say what did he say? Cause I think he said he's in. South Carolina, I want to say. Okay. And and I think um, I'm trying to remember now because it kind of all came up at the end there when the guys were saying different things they were doing to stay in shape. And then Dave Pooling said that uh, he's got some uh, uh, 4,000 foot mountain or something close to where he lives and he climbs it on a regular basis. And a couple of the guys were saying different things they were doing to stay in shape. Like you look at Pooley, you could see he doesn't look five pounds over his plane weight. And 
like you said, Hextall and Messier look like they could suit up today. Absolutely. And, you know, Mike Keenan's fighting prostate cancer, and I, I thought he sounded great. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, the hair's gone, but, you know, he he's um, he's doing well. And and I thought, you know, the, the exchange between him and Hextall uh, talking about the brawl in Montreal is just classic <laughs> stuff. I mean, you know, it was just like, you know, it's just phenomenal. It's phenomenal to have a window into that. And, yeah, I, I checked it out there about eight o'clock this morning. It was over sixteen hundred views at that point. So it was, I guess, other people because it's archived are coming on and checking it out and whatnot. So there's enough there for Marshy to, if he wants to do something with that and uh, and build on it. And I'll tell you what, man, tip of the iceberg, eh? You could uh, you could look around, do some things, get some guys on, structure a little show. That's uh, that's all he's what wants to do is just try and bridge the gap here till we get people back playing on the ice. I, it, it's Superman, and and again, it just watching it from you know this side of the screen, and and again, you, I mean, you're you're bang on. It was, I'm sure, it was incredible to be a part of it, but it was also so enjoyable to watch. And it was, uh, it, yeah. The, communi- the communication was just fantastic, and the laughing and the stories and stuff, and and even on the chat side, all the fans that were in, there was I, I don't know if you heard about it, or if you, I don't know if the the chat is archived on there, but somebody was talking about Mike Keenan doing a a handstand or like a big night of drinking at a bar in Edmonton or something during the series or something like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I see. I didn't have access to any yeah. of that. So a couple of the fans were just, they were just, so that was cool. So like, that's what I'm saying. The fans who, who lived through those series and remember those times. And there were a couple of fans that were going back and they were all corroborating each other about, you know, there was some bar, I believe in Edmonton during the series or whatever, a couple of games, you know, days in between or whatever. And, there's this story about Mike Keenan doing some serious drinking <laughs> at one of them. There was a handstand and everything. So, uh, you know, and that's that there was. There was other comments about, you know, some of the fun stuff that went on off the ice, you know, as far as, you know, popping some drinks and stuff. So you, you definitely had some yeah. diehards tuning in last night, too. So uh, yeah. all in all, man, just a, a great experience, a lot of fun. And I think, like I said, the, the more stuff we get that for fans right now, um, you know, it's a blast. I mean, the other thing I just thought of doing too, messing around, was playing a little Xbox uh, NHL 20, just to, you know, get you t- takes you into an arena. <laughs> Even people are fake. I'm getting my butt kicked, but man, it's uh, it's just having that little hockey stuff. But uh, great stuff, man. Hope that, like I said, tell Marsha to keep firing those up, man. You could do every year, man. It's 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 good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, they might be on to something, and who knows, right? Who knows where the world's going, Polly? And uh, you know, we 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 all anticipate some semblance of normalcy around the corner here. Give it, you know, two weeks, two months, whatever the case may be, longer, shorter, who knows? But what is the new normal going to be? So these things, and a lot of things in life, might uh, might become part of our new normal. And when you can set them up as easily as this and just have people right from their home. And let's be honest. I mean, most of the population does have the ability to log in. You know, just about everybody has some sort of device that they can probably log in today on something online. And if you're, if you got the, the right topic and right group for the specific fan group, whoever it may be. And I, I think you can, uh, we, we know that hockey's got global interest. And so it's just a question, whatever the, the team is, the fan, the player, what the topic, the incident, the moment, the decade, whatever the case may be. And then you're going to, you'll, you'll have your fan base built and away you go. It's not that dissimilar to what a lot of other podcasts or online shows are trying to do right now. So 
kudos to the Flyers alumni for uh, for jumping in in a big, big way last night. Because I don't believe anybody else in the NHL, uh, from either a current or alumni perspective, has done anything. There's been some out. There's been some stuff. You know, I mean, I've seen the Connor McGregor or Connor uh, McDavid and, and Wayne Gretzky. One and you know I saw Wayne and Lanny did one here on Hockey Night in Canada and they've replayed it a couple of times. They did that I think uh, two weeks ago, Lanny McDonald and and Wayne. So there, there, there's been some stuff that's been done, you know, but uh, that was pretty good last night. To have that many guys involved over 90 minutes it was pretty cool. Yeah, but you're the ace in the hole, buddy. Because man, <laughs> like, dude, there's something special about that that was really great where Bill was able to turn to you and say, "Hey, Liam." Give us a little something before we get into the discussion, and it yeah. really it really set a different type of uh, path, and and I think that's what's special, obviously about you and and and, and that uh, setup last night. So uh, yeah, no, good I, stuff, I buddy. Appreciate you saying that. I'll just revisit that very quickly on that bit on Hextall. We talked about the uh, penalty minutes and his fighting and stuff. I saw the guys roaring too. I saw everybody. <laughs> if you noticed right at that time. The decibel level went up a hundredfold right away, and and I had everybody's attention, and it was uh, it was good. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> and first, you see Bill. It looked like Bill was cringing a little bit, and then he kind of he kind of dips out of screen, and he comes back, and he's got this giant yeah. grin on his face because he's just <laughs> like, "Oh, William, go, baby, go!" Oh, it was, yeah. it was a classic moment, man. It was good stuff. I said him in a couple of dry runs. I said, "Billy." We're not on ESPN, buddy. You know, yeah, it's exactly. okay. Like I'm gonna, you gotta let me be me. I mean, this is why Marshy wants me on. He wants me to yep. kind of just. He knows what I'm all about, and you gotta just, just, you know, just, just <laughs> let me rip there every now and then. I'm not gonna say anything, and you know, I'm not gonna embarrass anybody. I'm just gonna, just gonna rip and have a good time. And and I said, by the way, fellas, what's the what's the protocol on drinking during this? And everyone said, go for it. And I said, perfect. I will. For a moment there, it was like the pub scene in, in the uh, in the Quiet Man that we did a couple man. months back, and I'm the old guy in the back of the bar watching, laughing my ass off in the back. I say to people all the time, if you watch that scene, there's well, there's there's what four or five scenes in in uh, in the pub uh, where uh, Barry Fitzgerald, who plays Mickalene O'Flynn, you watch him. Anybody who ever watches The Quiet Man again, and you watch him drink that Guinness, yep. sit, sta- sitting at the bar or standing at the uh, at the pub in Cohans, the Cohans pub, you watch him. That is not, by the way, some sort of colored, flavored drink. <laughs> that was full deal. on Guinness, and and that is how my late come uh, cousin Seamus, who I told you about, used to drink his Guinness. It, they're not it's not chugging it's it's like taking a big bite of your favorite dessert you know yeah. you, you 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 if you love chocolate cake or you love apple pie or you love whatever and and you take that first and your first or second big spoonful or forkful or whatever the case may be and you can digest it because you love it that much Guinness drinkers they can drink Guinness like that because they love it that much. And uh, and I love Molson X that much. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why they're still doing so well. They'll be, to, they'll be able to float through this pandemic. No problem with you around, buddy. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. I, I go to the local beer store here. 
in uh, the village of Manatick. I can't get Molson X in the hometown I live in, but I get it just uh, you know a few minutes away. The other town, another town called Manatick, got a beer, beer store there. I was in there just the first week of the pandemic there, and this old lad was in there. Never seen him before. I know everybody. Like, I know everybody. If I don't know you, you know me. It's one of two ways. Never seen this guy before. I'm going to say he was about 74, 75. Good size lad. Shoulders kind of hunched over. It's kind of chilly out still. He was wearing an old jacket, totally open. Had old zippered rubber boots on. And he had a he had the uh, the, uh, the the cart there that you load up your, your pints on if you're going to take more out. And you're driving an old black pickup truck because I walked him, watched him walk out. And he had three or four, 24s of Molson X. And he's rolling out with them. And I, I stopped him. <laughs> and and I said, uh, well, I said, you're an X drinker, sir. And he said, all my life. And I said, well, I'll be goddamned. And, you know, I was so shocked. And he he never stopped to talk to me like most people would, you know. I mean, I'm just so used to it. Most people would say, oh, are you Liam McGuire? And I just waited. I'll wait for the inevitable hockey talk. He just kept on rolling. And he went right out the door, and I watched him like my jaw. I said, I've never seen this man before in my life. He looks like he's in his 70s. He's loading up 324s of X in the back of an old pickup truck in Manatix. He didn't come from Ottawa. Uh-huh. What the hell is going on? And I haven't seen him since, but if I ever see that lad again, I'm going to follow him right back to his house. <laughs> That's awesome. I'd love to know who he is. That is really mystifying to me. I'm not going to lie, man. I'm 50-some years in the area, and I know everybody, especially the X-Drinkers. A guy that age? How could I not have seen him before at some point, Polly? It's inconceivable. Inconceivable. Get yourself one of those English hats and a, and a pipe, buddy. Stand outside of that <laughs> shop and, ru- and rub your chin. One eye open. Holy lifted. Keep an eye out for him. I hope I see him again sometime because I will engage him in conversation and find out. Uh, I, I'll tell you this much. I may not know him, but I guarantee I'll know somebody in his family. Absolutely, 100% guarantee I will know somebody in his family because it's just, it's too, too, too unlikely. Anybody that age that drinks X around the towns that I grew up in, there's no way. <laughs> no away. way. I'm sure in a week or two you're going to give us an update. <laughs> no I doubt. hope so. I'll be in there later today, so maybe I'll see him. <laughs> All right, folks, once again, sticks and taps rolling on here through the uh, the COVID times that we're living in. So let's do this, Liam. What do you got for us today as we go back in time with uh, NHL history and a bit of a story or two? Yeah, that's it, Paulie, trying to – Keep this puppy rolling here as we uh, roll them out week after week and hope the people that uh, do listen don't find them too boring. Pretty easy, I guess, if it is. You can just click it off. But uh, I think there's these are, are very unique individuals. And as I did last week when I asked you if you'd ever heard of Howie Young and you hadn't, well, the odds of you having heard of this fella are slimmer because he was a generation before Howie Young. But his name was James Vincent Orlando. He went by Jimmy Orlando. Does that name ring a bell at all by chance? Not at all. Okay, no problem. I've, I mean, heard, he played of, a, I've heard of Tony Orlando and Dawn. Yeah, there you go. James Orlando. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there were any relations, but uh, but Jimmy Jimmy was uh, not unfamiliar to uh, to a nightclub scene, shall okay, we say. Good. There's a good segue. <laughs> there you go. There not you three go. three times, baby. Well, let me tell you about this cat. So 
His name is James Vincent Orlando. He's born in Montreal. Ironically, not ironically, but somewhat surprisingly, because their their stats are normally pretty accurate. But Hockey DB has some of his uh, numbers wrong, and I, I must uh, I must uh, send a, a message to my dear friend Scott Surgeon to set that whole puppy up, which so many of us use for resources. But they've got him uh, born in 1910. That's inaccurate. He was born in 1916. They got the date right. It's February 27th. It's easy for me to remember because my mom's birthday. My mom's birthday is February 27th. So Jimmy Orlando was born in Montreal, February 27th, 1916. And he took to hockey like like most kids did uh, growing up, growing up in the minor hockey system in Montreal, which really began in earnest in perfect time for him. The Montreal amateur hockey s- system really came into be uh, around 1910, 1911. And it was um, the man, you're familiar, of course, Paulie, with the Hart Trophy for the MVP in the league, yep. right? So the Hart Trophy was originally named after Dr. David Hart, who donated the trophy in 1924, uh, uh, just, to, just for the MVP of the league. And then in 1960... They renamed the trophy the Hart Memorial Trophy in memory of Dr. David Hart's son, Cecil Hart, who was a former coach of the Montreal Canadiens, Stanley Cup winning coach of the Montreal Canadiens, and the man who is largely recognized and regarded as the origin of minor hockey in the city of Montreal, Cecil Hart. So that said, Jimmy Orlando, born in 1916, by the time he's 8, 9, 10, Minor hockey in Montreal is absolutely blowing up. The Habs had won their first cup in the year Jimmy was born. They won their second the year he was eight. They had Howie Morenz, who was one of Jimmy's first heroes. And the rest, as they say from a minor hockey perspective, is history. He becomes a a member of the junior Montreal Victorias. And this is when some of his on-ice attributes began to take shape. Some of the first things ever written about him usually included the words mean-spirited he was a mean-spirited player this is when he was 15 16 17 he was playing for the Montreal Victorias junior hockey he got in a handful of games with the senior Montreal Royals yet the funny thing is he was right in their backyard and the Canadians absolutely sucked at that time in the late 30s they were brutal and they didn't sign him they didn't sign him. Now he was was he reckless? Yeah. Was he uh, looked like a little bit out of control a lot of nights, and his talent maybe was iffy at best, if you want to even call it that. But yeah, so they didn't sign him, and he ended up as a prospect under the auspices of the Detroit Red Wings, and he essentially turned pro, belonging to the Detroit Red Wings. So he comes out of junior hockey, and he turns pro with one of the teams affiliated with the Detroit Red Wings in the International Hockey Leagues called the Rochester Cardinals. So, again, buddy, not, uh, you know, this is uh, state of New York stuff here. There we go. And, and uh, he plays uh, parts of a, part of a season for them. Then he, he, he goes to another uh, Detroit. He moves up a league. That was in the IHL. He moves up to the IAHL, which was the forerunner of the AHL. Now, the interesting thing about this, Paulie, is we just spent a good chunk of time there talking about my hit last night with the Flyer alumni, of which one of the people were, when we just talked about him, Ron Hextall. 
And if you watch the introduction of Ron, you may recall I talked about his grandfather in 1937 playing for a team in the IHL called the Philadelphia Ramblers where he led the team in scoring, or led the league in in goal scoring. Well, guess who he was up against in in that same state from the Pittsburgh Hornets? Jimmy Orlando. Jimmy was on the... On the le- in the league at that time, and he was one of the penalty minute leaders. <clears throat> and he was so aggressive and so effective that the Detroit Red Wings called him up. So he started his NHL career in 36-37 as a member of the Red Wings. He played parts of that season. He had a cup of coffee with them again the next year. He went back to uh, Pittsburgh, played most of that year, led the league in penalty minutes. Now he's starting to make a name for himself in pro hockey as a guy who is quick with the fists, and is good with the fists. And a lot like Howie Young last week, Jimmy Orlando was a really good-looking man. He was a good-looking guy. And his trademark for him, and it, it may seem funny to say this going back this far in time, but this is 100% legit. He was one of those guys, Polly, that he could shave at 8 in the morning, and by noon he needed another shave. You know, <laughs> he, had, he had the 5 o'clock shadow going after like 3-4 hours. And it wasn't uncommon for him to not shave for a few days. So it just always looked like he had he was in a state of facial growth, which wasn't the norm at the time. Nobody was doing this. And he'd take some insults and some slurs and some slings and arrows, but he just absolutely would crush anybody who came at him verbally in any way, shape, or form about his looks. So he continues on his merry way playing pro hockey. Uh, he's trying to make the Leafs. The whole next year, 38-39, he can't even make them out of camp. Can't make them. And he'd been with them 16 games over the two previous seasons. <clears throat> he plays on another one of their farm teams in Springfield. Leads a, uh, finishes second in penalty, penalty minutes. Goes the next year. Goes to camp. Makes the team full-time. Now he is a full-time NHLer. Look the hell out. All he wants to do is just absolutely crush everything that moves. So he's playing for the Red Wings. Long he goes. Uh, he has a decent season by, you know, playing like in their four-hole, five-hole. They only carried typically 4-D at that time. He, he uh, gets his first taste of NHL playoff action. Goes to the Wings next year. Now he's full-time NHLer, no problem. He's on the team. He's making the camp 100%. Leads the NHL in penalty minutes. Okay? The NHL penalty minute leader the eight previous years was the same man, George Red Horner of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now there's a new sheriff in town, literally and figuratively, and he's playing for the Detroit Red Wings, and he picked up 99 minutes and 48 games played, and he helped Detroit go all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals, and his name is Jimmy Orlando. And he's a swashbuckler. He's regarded as a bit of a playboy. He absolutely loves to fight on and off the ice. He's good to go. He can drink a 1,000. And he is the cock of the walk. And he helps the Red Wings go to the finals. Boom. 41-42. Right back at it. Right back at leading the league in penalty minutes. Even more violent. Even more crazy. Helps the Red Wings right back to the Stanley Cup finals again. This is the series where they won the first three games and lost the next four to Toronto. And and, uh, you can imagine Orlando out there. He was going absolutely nuts. Uh, especially as they started that losing streak and then ended up losing the Stanley Cup. Now, when he played for Detroit in 1937, they actually put his name on the Stanley Cup winning roster. He did not qualify, but if you look at some lists 
of the 1937 Detroit Red Wing winning team. Some will have Jimmy's name on it. He did not qualify, Paulie, but some have it. However, he made that a moot point the following year, 42-43. Third year in a row, leaves the NHL in penalty minutes. Third year in a row, absolutely a total wingnut on the ice. And he leads the Detroit Red Wings back to the Stanley Cup Finals. Only this time, they win the Stanley Cup. He's a Stanley Cup winner that you'll never be able to take away from him. It's the 42-43 season, and life is grand. However, we all know what was going on in the world at that time. The Second World War had started in earnest, certainly for Canadians in 1939, and after Pearl Harbor, the Americans were all in. Well, Jimmy's a Canadian, but he's plying his trade in the United States of America, and this is where things get a little murky. Okay, just before I get there, I want to tell you his last significant moment of NHL activity. He's playing against the Toronto Maple Leafs in that 42-43 season. Now, you won't know the name Gay Stewart, probably, Paulie, but anybody who knows hockey history has read up on it back in the day. Gay Stewart was one of the superstars in the 1940s in the NHL with Toronto, multiple Stanley Cup winner. And he came down on Jimmy Orlando. Stewart was a forward, Orlando's defenseman. And he tried to beat him on the outside, and Jimmy dropped. Just gave him a body check and knocked him down. Stewart gets up and says, you, you're such a piece of, you know, you know what. Why don't you, why don't you get a shave, you know? That's all he said. Very <laughs> innocuous. Now, there were probably a few F-bombs in there. Safe to say. Orlando turns around and drops him with one shot. Knocks him out cold, okay? He gets a minor penalty for roughing. Goes to the box. Feels shame. Comes out after the two minutes. Stewart, of course, goes to the dressing room. In those days, smelling salts. How many fingers? Three. It's actually five. Good enough. You're good to go. Comes back on the ice. Picks up the puck. Comes down on Orlando. Throws it into Orlando's feet. As Jimmy looks down, Gay Stewart takes his stick, swings it as humanly hard as he possibly can, and drills Orlando right across the head. Now... There is a picture of this that anybody listening can find online. All you got to do is Google it. Jimmy Orlando pretty much just have to put in blood. And you'll see a picture of Jimmy being held up by the NHL officials. And I think one of his teammates with the side of his face looks like someone took a ketchup bottle to it. Okay. And the late Jim Coleman one of the most decorated and senior sports and hockey writers in North American history, was at the game. And he wrote the next day, the only time I ever saw more blood was on a cattle-killing floor. That's how much blood there was on the ice. So, needless to say, Jimmy Orlando and Gay Stewart got it on for the rest of that season. <clears throat> Nothing else happened because of what happened in the offseason. So Jimmy was told by various sources, including friends and whatnot, you, you're an able-bodied man. You, you, got, you got to sign up for the war effort. You know, you've got choice. You can sign up uh, on behalf of, of the United States where you work, or you can go back to your native Canada. Because uh, Keep in mind, many were doing this. The only ones that didn't, the only reason the NHL continued to exist between 1939 and 1945 is the men who played in the league had all been rejected because they weren't fully able-bodied. 
Okay. Like if you had any lingering injury, broken bones, anything, eye problems, whatnot, like Rocket Richard tried to enlist six times, was turned down every time. Numerous players did. Jimmy had nothing wrong with him after he recovered from that head injury, and he was told in no uncertain terms, enlist, Jimmy. You have to. Everybody is doing it. He didn't, Paulie. Instead, he falsified documents that that indicated, and this is kind of funny tying into the pandemic today, where you have people who are deemed essential service employees, workers, that have to continue working. We know not the least of which are the frontline workers who are the real heroes that you and I salute every week. Well, guess what? This is in 1943-44, and Jimmy Orlando falsified papers saying he was an essential worker. And you know what? You can't do that, man. You can't do that. Guess who came calling? The FBI. Wow. The FBI came calling, and they investigated him, and they arrested him. They arrested him, and he had to go to court. They had, he had to go to court, and, and uh, I mean, this was, this was a serious, serious charge. This was in 1943, the 43-44 season. And they took him to court, and he was convicted. He was charged. He, he had to post a $4,000 bond in 1944 to get out of jail to go and decide how he was going to handle this going forward. So what happened was his mother passed away in Montreal, and he said, I want to go to the funeral. And so they allowed him to cross the border. And when he did cross the border, and he talked to his dad, and they got a lawyer in Canada and tried to do something about the charges. And they said, no, there's nothing can be done here. You have to go back and serve your time because you've been convicted. And he said, well, I'm not going back. And he, he never went back. And he turned around and he enlisted in the Canadian military. But for a lot of people, and he did serve. He served two years. And for a lot of people, it, that was okay, you know. I mean, you did it with gun to head, which nobody really was acting that way at that time. So, you know, it was a blight on him. And he never again played in the NHL. But, you know, he was indicted by a grand jury. He was deemed an illegal fugitive. Had he, had he crossed the border again? And he never did in his entire life. He never crossed the border again. So he, 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 he enlisted in the Canadian Army. He served two years. I don't know anything about his military Record. I don't know if he served in theater, whatever he did, but at least he did put on a uniform. He did go overseas, and it was that much at the very least, albeit he was definitely not inclined that way at all. When he was discharged and the war ended, ironically, on today's date, right, Polly? VE Day today, Crazy, 1945, yep. 75 years ago today. And and he, he was discharged. He came back to Montreal, and he had made numerous contacts because he was a, a celebrity, let's be honest. He was a Stanley Cup winner, swashbuckler, one of the toughest guys in a pro sport. He looked like a million bucks, and he hooked up with all sorts of the wrong people. (laughs) He got hooked up with a man named Eddie Quinn, who was a wrestling promoter, and Jimmy became his, not his bodyguard, but in a sense, similar to a bodyguard. And there was a... um, a nightclub in Montreal at the end of the Second World War that opened up called El Morocco. Famous, famous nightclub. But Paulie was also a nightclub that this is when the whole burlesque 
industry was was starting to you know become somewhat significant and and um it was famous for that anyway the type of clientele that frequented el morocco as you can imagine skated a lot on the other side of the ice and <laughs> jimmy orlando took to this like a duck does to water until that one fateful day when this woman walked in her real name was willis marie van schack nobody knew her as that though she went by her stage name lily saint Cyr. she was probably you could make the case the most famous stripper in north america in the 1940s and 1950s and she showed up at the el morocco brought in by eddie quinn largely people think has his mistress as well but guess who took her under his wing mr jimmy orlando now have i don't paul if you've ever heard of the expression a man was uh, is is a beard it, it's a 1940s, 1950s expression. He's a beard. He was a beard. It's a layman's term for for a um, uh, uh, a companion, a um, not a date, but um, security of some sort. It's something also like, uh, tr- tr- what's Travolta's, that? Something like Travolta's character in um, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah, little, yes, exactly. He, with uh, he, with Uma Thurman when he exactly. took her out to the, to the nightclub, right? Yes. And, and they did the dance contest, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's a perfect description. So, Orlando. Now, uh, Lily Saint Cyr ended up being married a total of six times. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because her life was absolutely <laughs> crazy. But the one interesting thing about it was she had a sister. She had a sister named Rosemary. Who, who took a stage name as well. She also danced and stripped. She took, and this was before uh, Lily even met Jimmy Orlando. Her sister, Rosemary, took the stage name Daisy Orlando. How could that possibly, how could, you know, you can't make that stuff up. She takes the stage name Daisy Orlando, and Lily St. Cyr <coughs> meets Jimmy Orlando, and all these men are coming around, all these gangsters, all these guys through wrestling, pro wrestling, the shadiest of characters, and Jimmy Orlando is lining them up and knocking them out. Like, whoever comes around her, he was not just a protector. Everybody and their brother, if if you read enough and do enough history, points to the fact that he was 100% involved romantically with her. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And and he, he, Jimmy stayed at El Morocco until its closing. And then he got at every new club that opened. There was one called Champs. There was another one called Algiers. If you want to talk to people that have any history of the city of Montreal in the 1950s, late 1940s, the decade of the 1950s, and into the early 1960s, <coughs> Jimmy Orlando was front and center in every single um, club of ill repute or otherwise. He had some level of involvement in. And if that included fistically, then so be it, because he would do it. The other thing is Polly. That there was a tremendous senior hockey league existing in and around the province of Quebec at that time. So Jimmy went back to playing hockey. And he signed up with the Valley Field Braves. This is in the Quebec Senior Hockey League when he's at the El Morocco. Keep in mind, he's only 30 years old. He's 5'11", 185 pounds in 1946. Believe me, that's a good-sized man. And he's absolutely fearless with the fists. 
and he's kicking the shit out of everybody on the ice <laughs> in Valley Field. The Ottawa Senators pick him up for the playoff run that year. They go all the way to the uh, to the Allen Cup and the Quebec Senior Hockey League. Jimmy leads the league in penalty minutes. He's back in Valley Field the next year, leading the league in penalty minutes. He goes, he plays for the Montreal Royals. He's bouncing around the league. He's either right or near the league in penalty minutes. And keep in mind, this league is not the NHL, but a ton of players that played there went to the NHL. Jimmy plays six years there. Wow. Six years. He ends up winning a couple of championships there. Figure that out. As if he wasn't already a big enough celebrity. He's the king of the world. And yet he's a wanted man in the States, but he never, ever crosses the 49th again. So he stays in Montreal. He's with Lily Saints here. I'm going to say this too, right? You want to talk about Googling. I'll tell you what, Paulie. You Google Lily Saints here and tell me that, uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? I mean, she she looked all right, brother, but I don't care what decade, decade you drop her into. She looked good. And Jimmy Jimmy was her main squeeze, her beard. And meanwhile, he's rolling through senior hockey. So he finally retires after winning another championship with Valley Field in 1951. He packs in the hockey, does a little bit of coaching. His heart's not really in it. He's just running the nightclubs. He's running with the gangsters. Nobody even really knows. He was investigated uh, several times uh, by, 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 you know, by authorities trying to find a stronger link to some of his involvement. Nothing, nothing was ever pinned on him. And another significant note, and this is one that you know, we talked about before, you and I, a very infamous moment that happened on St. Patrick's Day ironically, in 1955 in the city of Montreal. It's called the Richard Riot, the Morris Richard Riot, which you obviously have heard of, Polly. Yeah, we talked and about it on the show, too. Absolutely. So at that game, Rocket has the outburst against Boston on March 13th in Boston. Two days later, on Thursday, March 15th, Clarence Campbell suspends him for the rest of the regular season and the playoffs. Lampiest suspension uh, in the NHL at that time, next to Billy Kachu, who was suspended for life, and, and the guys who got caught for drugs in the uh, in the mid-40s. So on-ice incident, Rocket gets suspended. The St. Patrick's Day game against Detroit, Clarence Campbell shows up with his secretary, who was his girlfriend, who he later married, and another woman, fashionably late, as he always did, which which the entire crowd went nuts, absolutely nuts, you know, we know what happened inside the arena and the game ended up being forfeited. But before that happened, people were pelting Campbell with all sorts of stuff, right? Throwing everything at him and, and security had formed sort of a wall. There were police had come up to try and protect him. And then this, this guy wearing a black leather jacket and slicked back black hair comes up and, and uh, says, Hey, I, I, I respect Mr. Campbell. I just want to I just want to shake his hand. I just want to shake his hand. Well, the cops let him through, you know, they let him through. And the kid goes up and puts his hand out like he's going to shake it and drills Campbell right in the head. Oh. So guess who was first on the scene? Jimmy Orlando. <laughs> Jimmy Orlando was sitting right there. He's up like a flash. And the quote he gave in the paper was, I sent the, the, the t I sent that kid's teeth out of his face like they were chiclets. I think it was one of the first times I ever in my life read anything about teeth being regarded as chiclets, and and uh, he absolutely drills the kid as all hell is breaking loose inside the Montreal Forum on St. Patrick's Day, 1955, and who's right in the middle of it again? 
Jimmy Orlando. So you could imagine when he got out that night in the middle of that mob. And then by the time that all came down over the next, you know, couple of days and then weeks and the rocket had to go in on public and everything. Of course, that's unrelated to Jimmy. He had no affiliation to the Montreal Canadiens or anything. He just happened to be sitting there and stepped in for Clarence Campbell. You know, it's unbelievable when you think of it. So Jimmy goes on to really just slowly move into a more sedate life as he gets older, Polly. There's really not much more to the story. Uh, you know, he he uh, he stayed involved in the leg clubs for as long as he was viable and able as an able-bodied man to, to sort of play and act and perform the role, if you will. Lily St. Cyr ended up getting married for the sixth time and finally moved away literally and figuratively from not only Jimmy Orlando, but the Montreal lifestyle. And uh, Eddie Quinn, I think, passed away in 1965. Um, there was another one of their cohorts died, I think in 69. Um, and, uh, Jimmy Orlando, uh, died, uh, I believe from natural causes in his mid to late seventies. I think it was 76 or 77. Yeah. 76, I guess in 1992 in the city in which he was born, the city of Montreal, forever a fugitive from the United States of America, Stanley cup winner with Detroit, the man who hit the goon who nailed Campbell on St. Patrick's day, 55. And, uh, the guy who, uh, who tore a hell of a swath on and off the ice through pro hockey and beyond in the 40s and 50s, Mr. James Vincent Orlando. Good stuff, man. Again, it's it's a, it's a great journey again of, uh, you know, where he starts out, you know, as far as, uh, and again, the timing is everything as far as, like I said, minor hockey starting uh, at that time and, and, and yeah. giving this guy an opportunity to kind of launch and, and then how he kind of, at the end of it all, ends up back playing in, in the senior leagues, which is great too. But And then, you know, like I said, all the historical stuff that's in between there, the um, you know, World War II, um, and, you know, that whole thing about the FBI and everything else too, like that's something I wasn't aware about. You know, I, I'm just like when you're telling that, you're just kind of thinking of like, you know, in, in that amount of time, you know, you, you have to believe that Jimmy Orlando wasn't the only guy that, that did something like that, you know, to try and get out of being drafted, you know what I'm saying? And and how the government probably went and tracked all these guys down, you know, at, at such a, you know, a peak time there at the start of that when they were, you know, just like I said, you know, uh, especially the United States getting involved in, in theater and everything else. Um, but amazing. Uh, and again, you know, ultimately he's a Stanley Cup champion. So when you, when you take this little journey in this story and um, – you know, getting to Montreal and then getting into the, uh, uh, you know, the the nightclub business, as you would say, and yell Morocco yeah. and all that other stuff. And when it all comes down to it, he's got his name on an absolutely incredible, you know, uh, piece of, you know, history there. He's a Stanley well, Cup champion. And, and, and you know what, Paulie, I've got it. I've just found the quote here. I, I'll, I'll just read it to you. It's not very long, but this is... <clears throat> Based on the documents, okay, that he was accused of falsifying, okay? So he went to the Detroit Draft Board, falsified these documents. So the Detroit Draft Board gave him what was called a 2B draft deferment and listed him as an essential war worker, you know? So when the FBI came calling and he was indicted by the federal grand jury, on, he was indicted on four counts of violating the Selective Service Act and one count of perjury. Like, this is serious stuff, man. And there was a, the trial was three days in a U.S. federal court. And, and the jury was nine women and three men, and they found him guilty, and he was sentenced to four years in prison. 
and fined uh, $2,000. So when he had to post the bond, he had to post double that. And he was granted permission before jail to his, I mean, his mom had passed away and they let, they let him go to the funeral. I mean, just assuming, of course, he'd come back to serve his time. But uh, that was the last thing on his mind. And he enlisted in the Canadian Army, as I said, shortly after that, and, and say what you want about that. But he obviously lost the $4,000, but it certainly wasn't uh, wasn't a priority for him. He just wanted to avoid jail. But, you know, I mean, he was called the bad man. of The bad man of hockey was his nickname. And it was sort of a like Eddie Quinn... The wrestling, you look at the the um, the WWE and the WWF. They're they're all if you point if you go back in time, one of the forefathers of all of that. You know, going back to the days of Don Leo, Jonathan, and Edward Carponche, and these guys that were you know uh, famous in the '60s and '70s. They all, most of them, almost all of them, came in under Eddie Quinn. And, and, uh, and you know, you know, if you watch pro wrestling and I don't, I mean, I've watched it over the years, a handful of times for sure. It's all entertainment. I get that, but you know, and it's had its moments where it's been pretty relevant on that, on the entertainment stage, whether it be Hulk Hogan or the rock or stone cold, what have you, but there's always refs right in the ring, Polly, as you know, well, guess what? In the 1950s, that was Jimmy Orlando. Jimmy Orlando was always introduced at these matches as the, and now officiating our, our headline match tonight, <clears throat> the bad man of hockey, you know, Jimmy Orlando. And he'd come out, you know, and he, he was a referee. And he did, he did dozens and dozens and dozens of these. So, I mean, he owned that city in the 50s. I, he just owned it for, for you know, <clears throat> excuse me, outside of Rocket Richard and, and, and the, the strength of the, of the Habs, uh, Jimmy Orlando, was he was the cock of the walk because the hockey players – weren't going to those places you couldn't be caught you were caught in one of those places jimmy wasn't playing in the nhl anymore so he didn't care but um i can just imagine like to me to me uh, you look you look back on it maybe somewhat i do anyway somewhat romantically about the whole era i know what he did wasn't wasn't cool but at the end of the day you know the guy won a stanley cup he was legit tough and uh, and he he did what he did. At least he did enlist after. I read I did a lot of research on it in the last couple of weeks as I've been putting these together for you. And uh, I mean I knew about Jimmy. I knew a lot of this already. But I read a lot of stuff from guys who were pretty harsh on him. You know for how he handled that because the war is the war, right? Like you just don't screw around with that. All men were expected just if you were able-bodied, you enlist and you go. And he didn't. And and regardless of signing up after or not, he took a lot of heat for that. But. Here we are, brother, all these years later. I'll tell you something else. One more quick thing. If you dig around online, there's there's these, there's these this thing online called, um, I forget the exact name of it, but it's something like um, find a grave site, something like that. Okay. And and, uh, and and you can punch in different people's names and, and they'll go back and, and so they'll have some, some, docu- you know, some online documentation as to when the man passed and stuff like that. Well, guess what? There's also a component for anybody who goes on those sites where you can leave a message, even all these years later, you, you know, you could leave a message on maybe the anniversary of his birth or maybe something special. And it is pretty funny to look through them because this is all, this is, this has been up since the internet started. And, and some of these go back like 20 years plus and their messages. And some of them are, you know, <laughs> kind of personal and, and you're going, man, I bet you, I bet you this person 
was either in Algiers or in Champs or in the El Morocco with Jimmy Orlando. And they're leaving a message. And I think that is so freaking cool. I really do. That's <laughs> a trip, man. Well, it's funny. I mean, you know, I, I want to look up Lily St. Sierra and I want to look up the El Morocco because I have to, like, uh, I want to see what it looks like because you think yeah. back about those days and, you know, you're thinking about uh, the Copacabana and stuff like that. that I know. Kind of Doesn't a... it sound like that? It sounds yeah. like the Barry Manilow song, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's, it's what it sounds like, you know, the Tony, you know, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing, right? I mean, yeah. that's what that sounds like. That's who, who Orlando was, you know? <laughs> I mean, oh, no. You just picture him at that time with the five, you know, the five day growth looking like a million bucks. Look what you, you can look up and see what he looked like. You know, anybody listen, you can punch in Jimmy Orlando and Gay Stewart or Jimmy Orlando and blood. You'll see the picture after Stewart hit him with the stick. If you go Lily St. Cyr, it's L-I-L-I, not L-I-L-Y, L-I-L-I St. Cyr. And you can see what she looked like and you tell me. Okay, because if you're a red-blooded heterosexual male, I know what uh, what's going on. So I guess whatever in that case. But uh, you know, it uh, she looked good, and uh, she was a hot commodity. And you know, and she died, I believe, in uh, 1999, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, anyway, it's quite a story, man. Quite a story. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's the trip about this ultimately because, you know, we are a hockey-themed show here uh, and, and going back in time. But, you know, so many players, you know, after their NHL careers finish, and it's the story before they get on the ice, and then whatever that, that journey is to hoist that amazing trophy, no matter what decade, no matter what year over your head, and then, you know, there's the career ends, and some guys move on and get into – you know, these obviously these uh, heyday stories uh, of guys like Orlando and uh, Young and stuff like that, where they, they just have these, um, you know, off the ice. Um, and it's like, it's, I think, you know, because of that time, like, you know, the, the 40s and the 50s and stuff like that. And, you know, even like uh, last week with Sinatra and, and all that stuff. It's like, uh, you know, these guys ultimately, were, they played hockey. And they, you know, they got the name on the cup or they didn't, but they were part of the NHL, that whole uh, story, that whole thing. And then you just, you become, you go back to being an average citizen or a regular citizen. And some guys have, you know, kind of boring lives where they just kind of take it easy and chill out. And then some of these guys, like Jimmy Orlando, uh, have these just incredible eccentric lives and stuff and they have this whole other story. And the last thing I want to look into, too, is because uh, I'm curious when you, when you talk about the FBI and everything, and I'm, I'm not really sure how it went, but, but I'm surprised or I was curious to think that they would turn around and say, hey, look, if you don't enlist and don't sign up, you're going to jail. Was it just they just went to jail? There was no second chance. You know, I'm, I'm picturing, you know, the FBI knocks on his door and says, hey, look, you falsified your <coughs> records and you're going to jail. Or they say, look, you either, you either enlist now or you're going to jail. What, what what I was able to discover about that was, and, and this was a story that I read, okay, someone else, I, I, story written by another writer who was alive in those days. And and it, what he wrote, his name was Basil Mira, by the way. It's a fairly famous name if you've done any historical uh, reading on, on, the, on sports in the National Hockey League back in the 30s and 40s. Uh, he, he, was, he was pretty well known. And he wrote that Jimmy had ample opportunity to decide. This was what he said, uh, whether to enlist with, you know, in the United States or 
um, or, you know, because he was essentially living in Detroit <clears throat> or go back home to Canada and he lists because it's just what everybody was doing. I mean, in 1942, the NHL came very, 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 very close to folding up shop. I mean, when the when the that was the final year of the what was you know, the franchise that had been known as the New York Americans, they played one more season, that 41, 42 season as the Brooklyn Americans just changed their name, trying to do anything they could to to, to, to gather some sort of popularity and, and gain some some semblance of extra attendance didn't matter uh the product wasn't any good and and they folded and that's when the nhl became a six-team league and that was essentially the beginning of the era that became known as the original six yeah so <clears throat> in that time they said jimmy orlando had ample opportunity but you know uh, when he was when he was caught uh and charged there was no there wasn't going to be a second chance at that, at that time. You know, it was you're, you, you have screwed up. You now, you know, you have broken what we feel are very serious laws here. And uh, now you've, you've gone to court and a jury of your peers have convicted you. So that, you know, you have four years in the, uh, in the big house and he skipped out and, and, uh, and, and that was that his, his big house uh, had a different type of clientele. He had some things to do <laughs> at the El Morocco. <laughs> he had people to see. He had he had places to see and women to do. Yes, he did. <laughs> Great stuff. Love it, man. Jimmy Orlando. All right, man. Well, I'll tell you what, as we always do, it's hard to believe I'm looking up here and an hour just flies by uh, uh, chatting up with you here and listening to this great story. It's uh, it's too much. But as we wrap up every Sticks and Taps show, we uh, do a little nod to the uh, the great history of Irish music, and we're sticking with the Clancy Brothers again this week, I believe, pal. Uh, that was a shocker, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, why don't you tell us uh, what we're going to do here today and, and how we're going to uh, send off, and, and what do we got? What, what what tune we got today? Well, I'm also going to say, Polly, that uh, as I messaged earlier and said, we'll do a little three-week sign-off here to the Clancy's, and uh, I'm sure it won't be the last time uh, that we have some of their music on, uh, if we're able to, God willing, continue it sticks and tops in any way, shape, or form down the road. But uh, for, for the purpose of this week and next, and then culminating um, in and around my birthday, uh, the third week of May here coming up, uh, we'll, uh, we'll do these next three songs, and, and uh, that'll be Clancy songs. And then we'll, then we'll move on just so, you know, people like Liam Burke and others <laughs> don't get to say, come on, give come me on, something man. else, man. Come give on, me man. something else. I just had all the promotions in the works. Ladies and gentlemen, sticks and taps brought to you by the music of the Clancy Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we ever get over to Tipperary, you know, we'll go and find the family. And uh, if we ever played them a couple of these clips, they'd probably laugh their asses off. And who knows? I'm sure we'd be at the very least, we'd be treated to a great night. But this song, actually, uh, the Bold Fenian Men or <clears throat> Down by the Glenside, is it, it's also uh, somewhat known, was written by a man named Peter Kearney. And that's a pretty significant man in Irish history. Uh, he actually <coughs> was a, a member of the Irish Republican Brotherhood. He's a dub. He's a Dubliner, and he he uh, he fought in the rebellion in 1916. He was not one of the leaders. It was the reason why he was not executed. But he did fight on in one of the um, in in one of the one of the battles, and uh, he later was incarcerated during the War of Independence as that was quite a tumultuous time in Irish history at the, you know, as a, as a result of, of the rebellion and what it led. At the end of the day, we ended up with, uh, with a 26-county re republic, and, and, uh, and we should be happy with that, and God willing, one day all 32 will be united. That said, 
uh, Peter Kennedy, and not P-E-T-E-R, by the way. It's just in case I'm, you know, it's Peter, probably pronounced more accurately, P-E-A-D-A-R. So he wrote uh, also a song called A Soldier Song, which Polly is the Irish national anthem, okay? He wrote it. That's it. That's it. I know you know it. And he also is the uncle of Brian Bean, Dominic Bean, and Brendan Bean. He's their uncle. And I think that's uh I think that's 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 a pretty cool thing. And and you know when he died um in in uh in 1942, I believe it was, and Brendan Bean was in prison at the time and they of course they wouldn't let him out to attend his uncle's funeral. So he wrote a letter to uh, Mr. Kearney's son, Pierce. You can imagine who he was named after. And he said, uh, Brendan wrote, my uncle Peter was the one outside my own parents who excited the admiration and love that is friendship. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah, very. I, 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 I think that's amazing. So this song is written uh, largely to salute the men who marched off under the auspices of an Irish Republic on in Easter of 1916. And when I hear it, when we first went to Ireland and went over as kids, my dad brought the family over. It was in 1968, before the dawn of the era commonly referred to as the Troubles. And I met my grandmother. I had a chance to meet my grandmother. My my paternal grandfather had passed away, so I never got to meet him. But I met her. Her name was Sheila, Sheila Fitzsimons. And when I hear this song and they 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 talk about this woman, I picture her. Her picture comes to my mind all the time, every time I hear this song. So it's it's got some sort of special significance to me for that. You know already, and probably anybody else listening, my strong affinity to the men who fought and died uh, for their freedoms, basic freedoms in most cases, under six or seven centuries of British rule in Ireland. And I hold them in very high regard, and we've acknowledged them. In this case here, it's not about anybody in particular. It's about a specific time, Easter of 1916, the last of the great rebellions, the one that really was the impetus leading to the Republic. And as they, as the, as anybody, if you listen to the words and the verses, and and you picture them talking to this old woman down by the Glenside, uh, I picture my grandmother Sheila Fitzsimons, and I love it for that. Good stuff, man. All right, well, we're gonna fire this up once again. The Clancy Brothers, and uh, how do you pronounce it's the bold, the bold Fenian men. Fenian men. Okay, yep. I just I didn't want to say it wrong. Yeah, the I bold should... Fenian men. I know I shouldn't have a problem with it, but... There is no mistaking that you know, that's some, what it is. You say and, Fitzsimons. And, uh, you say Fitzsimons. Some people say Fitzsimmons. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, and and I, I think it's Fitzsimons. Uh, it could be Fitzsimmons. <laughs> they had a shop, you know. Uh, her sister, uh, who we did, uh, who lived for quite a while, we, we, were quite, we had quite a few visits. And uh, her, her name, well, I think it was Katie. Uh, Andy Caddy. Went by Caddy, I think. Anyway, they had a... They had a little shop, and uh, um, it's in the heart of Dublin on a cobblestone street that you couldn't find with a map And and uh, if you didn't live there. And I'll tell you what, Paulie, 
I spent four hours there one Saturday afternoon downstairs in the basement with her husband, the late Mickey Trainer, who was one of the hunger strikers in the 1940s. And I talked to him about um, pretty much everything Ireland for four hours, wow. absolutely enraptured by his stories, not only of obviously uh, my grandfather, but he was my, you know, he is a blood relative as well. And uh, it was quite, it was quite something. And you know, when this, this, the lyrics for this song are really remind me about my, my, my grandmother, but anything around that era uh, makes me think of my grandfather and guys like uh, his, his, his best friends and, and people who came along a little later, like, uh, like Mickey Trainer and others. So, you know, I mean, you can say, or I'm glorifying it. I'm not, I, I, I'm saying if anybody does it any justice and absolutely knows what, what was going on at the time, they couldn't practice their own religion. They couldn't speak their own language. They didn't have a fair shot at jobs. So if anybody thinks that fair, you know, come see me. <laughs> we'll discuss it. But uh, that's all I got to say because I can get pretty worked up about it. I hear you, man. Good stuff, man. All right. Well, look, uh, once again, everybody, thanks so much for listening to Sticks and Taps. We'll end the show with this songs. Uh, mate, here's to you and everybody else there on the front lines. And Liam, as always, say goodbye to the folks. Thank you very much, Paulie. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Here's a glass for my shot right now. Everybody stay safe. Have a good one. Get a. It was down by the glenside I met an old woman A-picking young nettles and she ne'er saw me coming. I listened a while to the song she was humming. Glorio, Glorio, to the Bolfinian man. It's fifty long years since I saw the moon beaming on strong manly forms and eyes with hope gleaming. I'll see them again in all my sad dreaming. Glorio, glorio to the Bolfinian men. Stranger and wise men have told us 
Their cause was a failure. They loved year all Ireland. They never feared danger. Glorio, glorio to the Bolfinian men. I went on my way. God be praised that I met her. Be lifelong or short, sure I'll never forget her. We may have good men, but we never had better. Glorio, glorio to the Bolfinian men.